Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We are now in our second season and more excited than ever to continue to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. We look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung, and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's episode on environmental effects of overconsumption and waste generation. The waste that humans generate has been detrimental to our environment for quite some time now. We humans are generating far too much trash, and it cannot be dealt with so far in a sustainable way. Waste that is not biodegradable and that cannot be properly recycled or is not properly recycled is filling up our oceans and our landfills. Let's take plastic waste, for example, that we talked about all last month. A recent study found that of the 6.3 billion metric tons of plastic waste that has been produced, only about 9% of that plastic waste has been recycled. In 2017, for example, the EPA calculated that the generation of municipal solid waste in the U.S. that year was 267.8 million tons. And compare with 2015 levels, that was an increase of about 5.7 million tons. Altogether, the amount of waste generated affects the environment in multiple ways. Its contribution to the worsening climate crisis, its negative impact on wildlife and the natural environment, and its detriment to our very own public health. Human health is at risk through our actions and our behaviors. We continue producing large amounts of trash. We do not dispose of it correctly. And in the end, it may be our very downfall, as it is for the environment and wildlife in the ecosystems that we all share. It's hard even to prevent or promote longevity with how we treat our Earth. The more emissions we produce due to how much trash we generate affects us long term. One can possibly develop diseases such as asthma, birth defects, cancer, cardiovascular disease, childhood cancer, COPD, infectious diseases, low birth weight, and preterm delivery. As well, bacteria, vermin, and insects can also be added to the problem that trash causes. And all of this trash is with us each and every day. So let's unpack this. And here today to help us understand more about how waste generation affects our daily lives and health and well-being is Professor Deborah Reinhardt. Professor Reinhardt is Pegasus Professor, Associate VP for Research at the University of Central Florida, as well as a professor in the Civil, Environmental, and Construction Engineering Department, where she teaches and conducts research in the solid 
and hazardous waste management areas. She holds a PhD in environmental engineering and an MS in sanitary engineering. Professor Reinhardt previously was at the National Science Foundation as a program director for the environmental engineering program. She's the author of many, many, many journal articles and publications on waste, waste management, hazardous waste, and materials. I actually stopped counting those articles at about 74 of them. So thank you so much for being with us, Professor Reinhardt. We're so glad you could join us, and may I call you Debbie? You may, and I prefer that. Thank you. Thank you. Debbie, I noticed that one of your areas of expertise is environmental engineering, which sounds very interesting, but I perceive that most of us are not really sure what it is. We have something in our minds, but we're not sure. So can you tell us more about this and how and where this area of environmental engineering intersects with your long history, expertise, and research in waste and waste management? Well, as you mentioned, my, um, my degrees are in environmental engineering, and, and that's and that is a field. Um, but a lot of people do get confused about what environmental engineering is versus environmental science. And the way I look at that is that environmental engineering brings solutions to environmental problems that, in many cases, environmental scientists identify and explore. And these problems could be in um, air pollution, you mentioned that, it could be in water supply and quality, or in my case, it could be in uh, solid waste management. Go into solid waste management for people. Explain that in conjunction with the trash and garbage that we put out there so that everybody's on the same plane here. Well, I, I could give you a very complicated answer that um, the U.S. EPA offers where um, in, in actuality, a solid waste could be a liquid, gas, or solid. But anyway, we'll, 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 okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll we won't do that. Very confusing. It confuses my students. Um, so, uh, um, you know, waste management just means that, that we have used something and either uh, as a result of the use or because, um, you know, we couldn't eat it or, or whatever, uh, we have to dispose of it. So, so we, um, and, and, and uh, we dispose of it um, in, in our garbage um, containers, and somebody collects it, and then it disappears and, and, and goes off for, ma for management, hopefully properly. Um, whereas, um, in, you know, in air, air emissions, as you can imagine, air emissions go into the air, and liquid emissions go, you know, down the toilet or in the shower or something like that. And so that's the reason for delineating with the term solid waste? Yes. So food waste, food scraps, that's considered solid waste. Yes, unless you use your, your sink, uh, your garbage grinder, um, and then it does uh, go down the same pipe that wastewater goes to, and it goes to the same place. So you have a choice, and that's often a difficult choice. Uh, what is wastewater and waste, the stuff that goes down your toilet, what is that categorized as? So that, that's wastewater. Um, sewage is another okay. term. Liquid waste, um, but usually it's wastewater or sewage. Wastewater, sewage, then solid waste, and then aerosols and things like that. Yeah. And a lot of people think of solid, you know, like garbage is another term, and that's also 
technical differences between solid waste and garbage that I, I, I won't I just want to make sure everybody understands what we're really talking about today as we talk about solid waste as delineated from some of the uh, the others. And I know we have a show later this month where we're going to talk in detail about hazardous chemicals and, and, and hazardous material and that type of waste. So, Debbie, many people have pointed to our culture's overconsumption as a cause of all of this waste generation and waste management problems that are plaguing our environment. But as an expert, I want to get your take on what do you see as the major drivers in the world and in the U.S. of waste generation and our waste management problems and issues? Well, certainly increased consumption um, results in, in waste generation. There's no question. But, you know, our, our globe... You know, every, everybody in the world is, is driven to buying things and uh, wants to be able to buy the latest and, and the best. And certainly consumption is good for our um, economic well-being. So we, can, we can't say that consumption is all bad, but overconsumption, and, and again, how do you define that is difficult, but does result in, in consuming a, a lot of resources. And, uh, and some of these resources are not renewable. Exactly. We just have a minute to go before we go to the break. So I want to ask you really quickly, how is waste affecting our environment? And you can start that. I know you won't be able to finish it in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, so as I mentioned, you know, the resource uh, consumption certainly um, affects um, the environment. And, you know, the more we have to dig up things, the more we have to cut down trees, that will affect the environment. Uh, disposal uh, in landfills, uh, it um, results in emissions. It's not possible to collect all the emissions, even though they try very hard. And some of these emissions include methane, which is a, a, a very potent greenhouse gas. Um, some of the emissions um, cause odors. Um, and, and so uh, that's certainly going to be an impact, uh, particularly uh, people who live close to a landfill. Uh, Again, as we as we transport these materials, it results in emissions. It, it diverts water and it diverts fuel uh, to moving these things around. And, and recycling, there's always going to be some product that can't be recycled, some component of it. Um, recyclables are notorious for being contaminated, um, and and so that uh, has the, so that makes it impossible to recycle materials. And let's go ahead. I'm going to hate to do that, but stop you now so we can go to break. And after the break, we will be back with Professor Debbie Reinhardt and talking to us about waste and waste management. We'll talk more on the other side. Thank you. And we want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festival, interactive experiences, and now EarthX streaming TV. Our other sponsor is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green Healthy Unsustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods, Natural Grocers, Central Market, Sunflower Shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, 
offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, and more. Check them out at NHG.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio to today's show on environmental effects of overconsumption and waste generation. And we are back with Professor Debbie Reinhardt with the University of Central Florida, and she is a well-written and proliferous author on research and writings on waste and waste management. Again, thank you for being with us today, Debbie. Before the break, you were talking to us about how waste is affecting our environment. And I am gathering from what you said that more of the problem is in how we dispose of that waste in terms of environmental effects, or is that correct or not? Well, I I guess you could say that if if waste is improperly disposed, you know, if, uh, if wherever it's going, a landfill or an incinerator, um, is not run perfectly, um, which is very challenging, then there can be some environmental impact. So let me ask you this. Currently, what are the approximate percentages of our waste that is incinerated, that goes to landfill, and that is involved resource recovery? A little over 50% in the U.S. Um, these are U.S. numbers, and they're very different yeah. than other countries. Okay. Um, goes to a landfill. Um, about... A third is recycled, um, and then the remaining uh, 27%, 17% uh, goes to waste energy facilities, which, you know, this is a high-temperature process, and we do extract energy from the plastics and and the paper and, and, you know, other um, organic materials. So we, we can extract energy in a waste energy facility, and we're very good at controlling emissions. So they are safe facilities. When you say waste energy, is that incineration? Yes, waste energy is the incineration. The nice <laughs> incineration, combustion. Yes. Okay. Yes. So about fifty percent goes to landfill. Thirty percent is recycled, and about twenty percent is burned. Okay, and about twenty percent is burned. Because I can't, and you're telling me though that there are now better ways for the incineration because. On a number of our shows, we had one professor who tells us, he says, anything that involves combustion involves air pollution, and it is bad, bad, bad. Well, I would disagree with that. <laughs> um, it, you know, they're highly regulated. Uh, they're, uh, they're very effective ways of controlling emissions. And what, what we see coming out of the stack is really water vapor. Okay, okay. So is it perfect? Absolutely not. But, um, but it is, you know, I, I think it is uh, safe um, and, and um, will never go away completely. Indeed. Where we are now with this 50% landfill, 30% recycled, and about 20% incineration, how is that trend? Where did that come from? And where do you anticipate those numbers going? 
Well, the, the trend has been increasing recycling um, over the years, but we've pretty much plateaued. Uh, and so it's been around a third for a long time. And um, I, I couldn't tell you exactly what date, but, but uh, for a while. And, and so certainly we uh, should be working harder at that. Um, the, so, so as that's increased, the incineration waste energy has been pretty flat. Um, and, and so the, the, amount, the uh, percentage that's landfilled has gone down. But because at the same time population has grown and the amount of waste has grown, the amount that's gone to landfills has increased. You mentioned a little while ago that incineration is highly regulated. What about landfills? How are they regulated? And how have they maybe improved or not so? <laughs> well, certainly they are highly regulated as well. They're just a little more difficult to control because they're just huge areas of land and you're filling it with waste and it takes a while to get the controls in place. Um, and, and so um, in my research, I, I feel like only about half of the methane is really captured over the life of, of the landfill. So, uh, so certainly there's liners on the bottom, groundwater is protected, surface water is protected, and at the end of the landfill's life, a, a very solid cap is placed on it to contain uh, any emissions. But between that time, it's a little more difficult to control. It's, it is controlled, but not, not 100%. And so the, the best thing that can happen to, for landfills is that we get the biodegradable organics out. And that's the food waste and paper waste. And, and certainly paper has great value in the recycling stream. So it makes complete sense to get paper out of the stream. Food waste is hard to, to get it out. And, um, and, and so that's, that is a challenge, but I think it's a really important factor. So, you know, the more we can uh, avoid food waste and um, figure out how to collect it separately and get it into the process of get, get food that's still edible to people in need of food, you know, that, that's an area that needs improvement. Can you connect the dots for our listeners as to why it's, bad for the food waste and this other types of waste to go into that landfill? What happens? Very important question. Yeah. So um, these things break down um, biologically, um, and the end product is methane, as well as a bunch of other things. But the, the bad thing is methane um, because it's a very potent greenhouse gas. And the thing that's especially troublesome about food waste is that it's very biodegradable. So it's very quickly, you know, it breaks down in your garbage can and the garbage. That's truck. why they use it for compost. <laughs> right. So, so by the time we put the controls in the landfill, that, that food waste is gone. It's all broken down and, and the methane has been emitted to the air. So I think people are pretty, in, in pretty good um, agreement that food waste does not belong in the landfill. It's just the logistics of getting it out of the waste stream that are challenging. Again, back to landfills, because it is hard for most of us to find anything good about them. You mentioned that they are started and that they have a liner. And I have to think that absolutely everything will break down over time. So there's a liner and all those things that are stewing around in there. How is the ground soil affected and is it affecting our water sources as well as our air quality with the methane? 
you know, talk about the potentials for the environment as well as human health in those landfills? Well, um, again, most of the stuff that goes in there, a big chunk of it does break down, but um, plastics, uh, you know, break down very, very, very slowly. Uh, wood, almost, almost not at all in a landfill. Uh, so some of these materials, some of the metals, um, uh, really will be in landfills for centuries. Uh, the stuff that breaks down will break down fairly, you know, within a couple decades. The liner system is excellent and protects the groundwater for probably a century. Um, we extract the garbage juice, you know, we get that out. And so there's, there's really nothing that's going to pass through a landfill unless it's, you know, poorly. And again, this is U.S. regulations, U.S. How do they extract the garbage juice and then where does it go? What do they do with that? So they extract it with pumps. So there's a pump system or by gravity if there's a hill. Um, and that's a, what's called the leachate, right? That's leachate. Very good. So, yeah, <laughs> there, there's a pipe, a, a pipe, series of pipes at the bottom of the landfill and it flows to a common point, and then it's sent to uh, treatment, <laughs> and the, the treatment is very complicated because this is a, a very complex waste, uh, liquid waste, uh, wastewater. Um, it's, yeah, it's, so it's, it's tough to treat this stuff, um, but it's, you know, you're doing it in a controlled way and, and, um, and not letting it just go out to the environment. What happens when it rains? <laughs> Typically, I see a landfill, and you can see it in the, in the horizon. And so when we have a big thunderstorm and it's raining over the top of that landfill, what are there protections built in to keep all of that from us? Well, the areas that, that are open where, you know, the waste is exposed mm -hmm. to the environment, um, the, the water does go in and it joins other water that's uh, associated with the waste and that creates the leachate. But um, people are, are driven to keep that out as much as they can, so they quickly build slopes and, and put grass and, you know, and, and shed, and it doesn't come in contact with the waste, and so it's just stormwater. Very good. Before we go, too, I want to talk about how our current COVID pandemic and crisis is impacting or even being impacted by waste generation and waste management. Is there an intersection? Yes, very quickly. It, it, it's definitely increased residential waste. There's no question. You know, um, it's, it's decreased uh, shopping center waste and that sort of thing. People are ordering things like crazy. Um, there's been, you know, doubling of uh, e-commerce, and that generates packaging. And the packaging people are running out of materials uh, to package, and they're, you know, they're cutting down trees, and you know, deforestation is involved. So. So certainly packaging, e-commerce is impacted. Uh, restaurants are, you know, the takeout city, so that involves packaging. They're using plastic utensils. Utensils. There's been panic buying. There's been stocking up of things that maybe you can't eat or use, so you throw it away. So, so there's been a dramatic impact in, in the waste management. Uh, Thank you. So it's really driving more of that overconsumption and generating even more waste to be disposed of. Thank yeah. you so much, Debbie. We really appreciate you being with us. As always, the time is too short. We look for you to be back with us at some point in the near future. We've been with Professor Debbie Reinhardt of the University of Central Florida, and we leave you on this segment by asking in what ways is your workplace extremely wasteful and harmful to the environment? 
and what wasteful and harmful routine for the environment is part of your daily job. Thank you so much. We'll be back on the other side to talk more about waste and waste management from the policy perspective. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. And we're back with today's show on environmental effects of overconsumption and waste generation. The effects associated with waste vary widely and they are influenced by substances or chemicals found in waste and how they are managed, as we talked about in detail in the last part of our show. The most important reason, though, for waste collection is the protection of the environment and the health of the population. Irresponsible disposal of rubbish and waste can cause many different environmental problems. It can result in air pollution, land pollution, and can also cause numerous health conditions. As well, rotting garbage is also known to produce harmful gases that mix with the air and can cause breathing problems in people. On our last segment, we talked a little bit about that methane gas. And long-term health effects related to waste exposure include chronic respiratory and cardiovascular diseases, cancer, and even brain, nerves, liver, and kidney disease. The most overlooked toxic and hazardous wastes are the household products in everyday homes that are improperly disposed of, such as old batteries, pesticides, paint, and car oil. And we're going to discuss those in much more detail in next week's show on environmental effects of waste, specifically talking about hazardous waste and toxic materials. This is just a little bit, though, of why to care about the environmental effects of overconsumption and waste is not optional. It's a must. And so here today to help us unpack this and dive deeper is Professor Kate O'Neill. Professor O'Neill is in the Department of Environmental Science, Policy, and Management at the University of California in Berkeley. She holds a PhD in political science from Columbia University and was a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard University's Kennedy School of Government. Professor O'Neill has written three books, Waste, Trading Among the Rich Nations, Building a New Theory of Environmental Regulation in 2000, The Environment and International Relations, published in 2009, with a second edition in 2017, and the title Waste, which was published in 2019. And her new book, again, the one titled Just Waste, was published in the summer of 2019, and it was about waste as a globalized resource, though one that comes with magnified risk as well as governance challenges. It includes cases on China and the global plastic scrap trade, waste work and labor in the global economy, the global political economy of electronic waste and food waste, and the global circular economy. It's been widely featured by a number of media outlets, and now us. And she also teaches global environmental politics at graduate and the undergraduate levels there at UC Berkeley. Welcome, Dr. O'Neill. We are so glad to have you, and may I call you Kate? Of course you may. Thanks, Bernice, for having me on the show. And we're excited to continue our conversation on this subject with you, and I know that your area is more so aimed at the policy level. So, Kate, 
again, you research and you write a lot about policies surrounding waste and waste management and the impact of these policies, or perhaps the lack thereof. So can you define for us what is our country and our world's waste problem? What is the problem and why is it a problem and how did it get this way? And why should ordinary people care or why must they care, as we talked about before? I think there, the very basic level, there are two problems, a quantity of waste that we produce and, of course, what's in it and how dangerous that can be. So globally, the amount of waste, solid, just just even waste just produced by consumers has grown exponentially since the 1950s. And while in many developed countries in Europe and in parts of the United States, that growth is starting to level off as we pay attention to recycling and how we make things and how we dispose of them in many parts of the world, especially developing country cities, these piles of waste are growing as people shift to using more um, paper, plastic, non-biodegradable products without any real way of dealing with them effectively. So we're seeing these massive volumes of waste just simply overwhelming the systems that are supposed to take care of them. And I think, for example, plastics, uh, discarded plastics are the most visible example that we have, especially as they appear not only in the oceans, but also in our litter, in our waterways, by the sides of our roads. So quantity is a problem. I think also what has gone into uh, our waste. Now, uh, it used to be that you think about household waste, you think about food scraps and packaging, that sort of thing. But now we have many more things in that waste that are are dangerous. Uh, We have, um, uh, as you mentioned, sort of car oil. We have pesticides. We have all of these products. Uh, We have increasing amounts of medical waste that go into our, our waste. Medications can be desperately polluting to um, waterways and to water life. And so there's a lot, and and um, and generally, if you, if you move beyond the the consumer, we still have uh, problems of nuclear waste management. Not a single gram of nuclear waste has ever been disposed of over the long term safely. So we have we're, we're facing a, a problem of waste that really reflects um, growing consumption and reflects an inability to really um, up until recently really think about how to move beyond a single-use disposable society that relies on using up so much of the planet's resources for a very short period of use, then have whatever that was just simply be thrown away. Kate, in your book, Waste, you talk about the various sources of waste from food waste to electronic waste. What do you see are the top sources of waste in our country as well as worldwide? Yeah, I I think at the moment, plastic waste is really seen as the most important type of waste. I think we're really getting a sense of the volumes of plastic we're throwing away. So I think that's been, I would say, the most important uh, source, certainly the most visible kind of. We did all of our shows last month on plastic pollution. <laughs> uh, very much so. And I mean, plastic waste gets a lot of attention. I, I think sometimes to the expense of uh, not looking at electronic waste, for instance, that is uh, was very important about 10 years ago and now has not gotten any less, really. And It's more that, so, I have to think. Electronics also follows that uh, prosperity consumption paradigm. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Well, there are two things about electronic waste. One is that if they are disposed of badly, then um, they have a lot of toxic elements. But the other thing is they also contain a lot of valuable metals and materials that we need to be able to remove and reuse. It's, it's once your know, metals don't break down that easily. And if we can develop efficient systems for doing that, then we save a lot of environmental damage by not mining those minerals. And communities who work with those electronics who might refurbish them or be given safe ways to take out the valuable materials could benefit immensely. As well, all those metals that we're talking about are also finite resources. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you think that plastic is probably the most important and perhaps the most prolific. Would you say it's also perhaps the most dangerous source of waste from your list that you talked about in your research or no? Um, it depends how you define danger. <laughs> well, I mean, there's different ways of, of thinking about um, risk and danger. And I think that, um, you know, clearly nuclear waste, hazardous waste, that's a particular kind of risk that's very visible, happens very quickly on the whole. We can see it, it's, and it's fatal. Plastic is kind of the, the slow poisoner, and I think we're really beginning to understand what it does in the environment and to people, and also the greenhouse gas effects, the climate effects of producing plastics that then get thrown away in ever larger quantities. So I think there's very different kinds of dangers and risks. And unfortunately, all of these, no matter what they are, they do tend to affect poor communities, communities of color all over the world, the people who are not producing them, and often the communities that are doing their best to recycle, refurbish, resell, and reuse those, all that stuff that everybody throws away. Indeed, and you know, we use the term vulnerable communities, but I think a better term is overburdened communities because they're overburdened with every ill in society already. Mm-hmm. And, and the trend is whatever, any other ill comes along, they're going to be burdened with that also in an inordinate way. But I hear you saying you really think plastic is even more dangerous than the nuclear waste. And I do understand that. Like, we, <laughs> well, we talked about that a lot in terms of... <laughs> and the fact that there are some plastics and we don't know when or how long it takes for them to go away. And the fact how plastic seeps upon and builds up in our body is pretty dangerous too. Yeah, it is very dangerous because it's everywhere. And until very recently, we haven't seen it as a risk. We're going to go to break, but I remember one of our guests last month told us even that plastic's in this polyester I have on. Plastic gets into the air when I open my potato chip bag. We've been with Professor Kate O'Neill, who is giving us some very valuable and insightful information, and we'll be right back with her on the other side of the break. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festivals, interactive experiences, and now EarthX streaming TV service. Our other sponsor is Natural Awakenings Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority, or the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods grocers, Natural Grocers, Central Markets, Sunflower Shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, 
the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, and much more. Check them out at NHG.com. Our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We're back with our last segment on environmental effects of overconsumption and waste generation. And we are back with Professor Kate O'Neill with UC Berkeley, who's written a number of publications about waste and waste management, primarily from the policy level. Again, thank you so much, Kate, for being with us. Hi, you're welcome. Kate, in your book that was published in 2019 called Waste, you also spoke about the waste associated with work and labor in the global economy. So how does waste and overconsumption impact not only our environment but our economy? Yeah, the, I think most of us don't often, if we're walking around the streets, I think one thing that is fascinating for me to do and for, I, I think it's a great exercise is to spend a bit of time looking and seeing who is picking up the trash. Is it individuals going around with bags, picking up recyclables? Is it big trucks? Is it, you know, who, who is it who's involved with that? Because around the world, there are tens of millions of people who get livelihoods, either their full or part of their livelihoods, from waste, from recycling, from collecting, from um, refurbishing, reselling, and so on. And in much of the world, this, this labor is, is informal work. It's people who aren't in uniforms, aren't employed with protections, who do this work as, as part of um, an economy that, that doesn't have the same format, formalization protections that, that workers here do. But it is scrap trading is, is one of the oldest professions. It is something that has been around since the um, Industrial Revolution, and, and we have a long history with it. Uh, but so there are many ways in which um, waste work is absolutely critical to the economy. And, I, you know, I, right now I'd like to call out sanitation workers and waste collectors in the U.S. and um, and other parts of the world who are right on the front lines of the COVID pandemic collecting our waste. I don't think we realized that it was a fight to get those workers listed as essential and to get them the protections. And they, as working close together, often again, under low job protections, work coming from communities who tend to be, have pre-existing conditions, have suffered tremendously from the, the, the virus. And I think that noting that really helps us understand how dangerous this work is. Because yep. we've heard about a lot of various specific jobs that are on the front line that are essential and that are being greatly impacted by COVID. But I don't recall hearing at all about sanitation workers. Albeit, I have to think, I have to wish that this whole pandemic is making us rethink our value and recognition of essential workers. And meaning they are essential to our own livelihoods and comfort, convenience, and lives. Kate, your research correlates waste and climate change. Can you help us understand this intersection? Two problem areas I teach about, and I was like, oh, they're never going to be linked. They're totally separate. And that is 
absolutely not true. And I'll give you two examples. One is how waste um, can cause climate change. And I believe you've talked about methane in another mm -hmm. show. But let's use the example of food waste and the amount of food waste that we throw away, uh, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization, if it were a country, would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter on the planet. So it is, it, it is uh, in fact, some organizations who look at uh, solutions to climate change often put food waste, dealing with food waste, in their kind of top five of solutions to climate change as a problem. So it's a tremendous contributor, but it's also because um, it's something people care about. They want to do something about. Everyone knows waste is a problem. In a sense, it's also a low-hanging fruit. So people look at waste and recycling as a solution to climate change. But let's follow a little bit more along that thread about food waste. And in our previous segment, we talked about food waste being probably the major contributor in landfills and the danger and the exposure of landfills because that food waste, it's a big generator or creator for the methane gas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the methane gas then goes and creates that greenhouse effect by trapping all those bad gases down here with us. And that then is causing climate change. Yep. Did mm -hmm. I get that right? Yes, that is right. <laughs> and methane is, um, is very potent as a greenhouse gas. And by that, I mean, if you emit one ton of methane gas into the atmosphere right away, uh, it's like uh, emitting 72 tons of carbon dioxide. It doesn't last as long in the atmosphere, but it's, if we were to get rid of methane and really deal with that, we would be making tremendous strides towards stopping greenhouse gas emissions. It's, it's, um, so again, you know, there are greater quantities of carbon dioxide, the main greenhouse gas, but methane is certainly a really important part of the picture in dealing with methane from landfills. Um, I think the estimate I saw that was about 8% of overall greenhouse gas emissions is just simply from methane from landfills. And, and methane is supposedly, I know it's invisible, but supposedly it cannot be smelled. No, that's right. We're told that this is regulated, but I also have to think that anything that can slip out has the potential to get out into the air and ease around the regulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Uh, the, the the advantage of, of methane trapped in landfills, though, is, and that, this, I think, is where it, it's, it's a problem we can address, is that it can be quite easily converted to energy. Oh. And energy that is, not, I mean, you burn the methane, therefore it doesn't enter the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that a lot of companies uh, do as a way to make money, produce energy, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And now it, this whole notion of waste to energy is a complicated one. This one is not about incineration. Yes. It, so it's it's kind of, but it's 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 on a, often on a smaller scale uh, and it can be dangerous. If you've got concentrations of methane anywhere, I actually know more about these kinds of projects in developing countries because that's where I've, I've looked at that a little bit. And you have the, the problems of, of just there might be bad infrastructure around there no matter how good the company is. In your book that you published in 2000 called Waste Trading Among Rich Nations, mm -hmm. it was very interesting. And so I'm wondering, how have you seen waste trading increase 
or change or transform over the past two decades? And what does it mean for the world and our environment? And I know that China has stopped taking our waste mm-hmm. and maybe some other countries too. Mm-hmm. So how, how is that impacting things? Yeah, yeah. The waste trade is absolutely fascinating to study because when I, I was, I was, that was my dissertation research. And um, back in the day, it was kind of traditional industrial waste. Very little attention was being paid to anything shipped for recycling. We were really looking at cases of sludge of toxins taken from a rich country and dumped on a, a poor community somewhere else in the world. But in fact, as that problem was addressed, we began to realize that with globalization, you've got many more different types of waste or discard or scrap traveling the globe. And it has exponentially increased. China really started taking in the world's scrap at the start of this century. Mm-hmm. And some of that is good scrap. It's like the metals, the steel, the copper that can be reused. And then paper and plastic, which are the, the um, types that they're stop taking. Other okay. Stop taking. Right. And we are now having to figure out how to deal with that at home. But also there are cars, secondhand cars, secondhand bikes, clothes, all of it. Is, is part of this big global economy. And it's not just about rich countries dumping on the South. These are whole economies of folks who are immigrants in one country shipping back to family and friends in, in another country, or they can be criminal enterprises, they can yeah. be companies, mining companies are involved, smelting metals from e-waste, a huge economy. On balance, though, Kate, quickly, let me ask you, on balance, is it beneficial or detrimental for environment and health? Oh, um, in your opinion. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I do think we need to focus on reducing waste, but I think that the waste economy is just an essential part of, of dealing with uh, what we have, what we need to get rid of, and how we, we give the things we throw away in afterlife. If I, but if I was going to say there's a problem, it's with, our dispo- culture of disposability and our culture of, of things like electronics only lasting two years before we have to throw them away. I mean, that's another whole right. show Yeah, talk about that topic. Yeah. But I can clearly see that waste and waste management does not really have to be a problem or the problem that it is mm-hmm. if we are intentional in thinking it through and planning it. Last thing before we go, from your perspective, what have you seen during the COVID-19 pandemic in regards to waste trends and how might this inform our future very briefly? Oh, we're learning a lot. Um, one thing is, of course, people throwing away their personal protective equipment, masks, we need to think about that. But one of the other things has been uh, we were getting rid of single-use plastics. We were getting rid of those. And now all of a sudden they're back, plastic bags and straws mm-hmm. and so on, mm-hmm. because people are worried about hygiene. And that's actually not true. The plastic industry has been pushing a lot of this. There's no reason that plastics are more hygienic than other kinds of surfaces. And we really need to not lose sight of the zero-waste economy while we think about how to address the pandemic. So that's been... That's been something I've seen that we're going to have to really do some work on to go back to and figure out how to make people feel safer about reusables and zero waste. 
it was an opportunity to backslide a little bit, but at least we yeah. know that the public is aware. So when we get back to it, hopefully in a few months, maybe we can jumpstart it again. Thank you so much, Kate. We really appreciate you being with us, and we look forward to you being back in the near future because you have so much more to tell us. We've been with Professor Kate O'Neill from the University of California at Berkeley, and thank you listeners as well for being with us today. The conversation starts here. But our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourselves. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up one way or the other to the change that we each live through. This is Bernice Butler. Thank you for being with us. And join us again next week for more on environmental effects of waste and consumption, where we'll be talking very specifically about hazardous waste and toxic chemicals. Thank you. Thank you.